Good morning, fellow saints in Christ and blessed Epiphany. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. Today is Friday, January 26th, and you're listening to the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Today is the feast day of St. Titus. The church commemorates Pastor Titus, who is a revered figure, of course, in early Christianity, known for his close association with St. Paul, his dedicated missionary work. Titus was a Greek convert, a testament to the early church's expanding reach beyond Jewish communities. And of course, he was the recipient of that epistle, Titus, from St. Paul. His life exemplifies the power of conversion and the importance of dedicated pastoral care and the growth of the church. Now, our study for this morning, though, takes us to the opposite end of our Bibles, to the Old Testament. And once again, we dive into lamentations, into the depths, really, of despair, but also reflection. Lamentations is a poetic masterpiece that captures the profound sorrow of a once glorious Jerusalem, now laid to waste. Chapter 1, which we'll cover today, paints a vivid picture of the city personified as a lonely widow, utterly deserted, and mourning her losses after the Babylonian invasion. It's a poignant exploration of the themes of suffering, the consequences of turning away from God, and the stark reality of exile. The haunting imagery and emotive language of lamentations not only evoke a, a sense of deep mourning, but it invites us as readers to ponder the complexities of human sin, God's justice, and, of course, our hope for redemption. And this chapter sets a powerful tone for the entire book, and it's going to offer us a raw and unflinching look at the cost of disobedience and the yearning for God's mercy. But before we get into that, I just want to say, as I always do at the top of the show, thank you. Thank you so much, whether you are tuning in over the air or maybe online at kfuo.org, or maybe use Spotify or something like that to listen to it as a podcast. I'm just so glad you're here. You're the reason we're here. So settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is supported in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. When you get a moment, go visit them at lhfmissions, plural, missions.org to learn more. And if you have any comments or questions about today's show, there are three ways to get in touch with us. You can call us, and I'll give you that number in a minute, or you could email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. I regularly get emails from listeners, and I love hearing from you. You can also find me at Facebook. Just search for Phil Boo. Send me a friend request. And if you want to call in, here's that number now. It's 800-730-2727. Joining us this morning is the Reverend Ryan Heller. Pastor Heller is a pastor and a chaplain who serves as the manager of specialized pastoral ministry for the LCMS Office of National Mission. He oversees the Synod Civilian Chaplaincy Program, which provides spiritual care to people in various settings like hospitals and prisons and senior living facilities and emergency services. Good morning, Pastor Heller. Thanks so much for being on the show. Good morning, Pastor Booth. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, I'm excited that you're here. We're starting a brand new book of the Bible, and I, you, this is the first time you've been on with me. <laughs> so the, the time, regular, yeah. yeah, the regular spiel I like to do with new guys is just say, hey, tell us a little bit about how God is working through you, 
through you and your position at, uh, you know, the specialized pastoral ministry. Um, and also uh, tell us a little bit about your, uh, your family, uh, you know, as little or as much as you'd like to share. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just a little bit about the work that I do here uh, out of the International Center in St. Louis. Uh, one of the things that um, I enjoy doing, uh, I did this uh, actually when I was in seminary. I took a unit of what was called clinical pastoral education, which is a training program that helps equip church workers and um, and others that want to get a taste of what chaplaincy is like in like hospitals and nursing homes and things like that. So I did that at a trauma hospital in Fort Wayne. Absolutely loved it. And I continued doing some chaplaincy work uh, throughout my years in uh, serving as a parish pastor. And then uh, most recently before this position, uh, serving at Lutheran Senior Services uh, here in St. Louis as a chaplain at one of their uh, senior living committees. But what we do here at the International Center is really to promote church workers or students in um in college and seminary to really consider serving in different chaplaincy roles. Uh, what's really unique to us is that any rostered church worker, so not just pastors and deaconesses, but also DCEs, Lutheran school teachers, anything of that nature, as long as you're a rostered church worker, you can actually serve as a in a chaplaincy role and be endorsed by our office. Now, what endorsement means is that you have kind of our our backing and our support in the work that you're going out and doing. Um, a lot of places, hospitals, prisons, things like that, uh, look for that type of endorsement. So we love just helping people walk through that process and really equipping and preparing and supporting those, uh, serving the saints that God has entrusted to us outside of the walls of the um, of the sanctuary and really the connection is that we want to get these people in hospitals, prisons, uh, emergency services, wherever they are, connected with the local LCMS congregation, connected to that word and sacrament ministry, um, working with pastors and districts to establish that partnership, that relationship, and bring them into the into the family of God. So it's really exciting work that we do. A lot of people don't really, you know, when they're going into church work, they don't really consider all the um, all the opportunities out there. We've had uh, pastors serving as FBI chaplains, secret service chaplains, heard of someone serving with a CIA witness protection. I mean, just crazy, crazy um, cool opportunities out there for, for folks to engage in that you typically wouldn't think of a pastor, deaconess, or other church worker serving in. So that's just a little bit about the, the work that we do and kind of the exciting opportunities that exist uh, where, I, uh, where I serve. Um, as far as family is concerned, we... Um, I have a lovely wife, Jeanette. She is a deaconess. We're one of those couples that that met in seminary in Fort Wayne, and um, and got married uh, during during our time at seminary. Um, we have been blessed um, with uh, with three children: Isaac, Carly, Isaac who's seven, Carly who's five, and Anna who's two, and. And we're excited for another little one on the way, too. So we're in prayer and thanksgiving for that. And um, yeah, and so that's just a little bit um, about myself. Anything else I'm missing, 
Pastor Boo? I don't think so. I mean, that's a, a lot of information at uh, at once. But, you know, as I'm parsing through it, all I can tell is I, it sounds like you're a very busy guy. Sounds like you're doing some great work. Lots of uh, fun things uh, in store for you in the future, too, with the one on the way. But I'm just glad that you've taken the time to be with us today. Yeah, so, yeah. No, thank you so much for the opportunity. All right. Well, we're going to be in Lamentations. Now, I have to admit from the get go that while I've read through Lamentations before, uh, in my, you know, little over a decade or so, a decade and a half of, of ministry, I've never studied Lamentations. This is this is why I love being the host of the show, because I get the opportunity uh, to say, OK, here's some dedicated time to get into parts of the Bible that you feel haven't been in and maybe some other people haven't. So, you know, Lamentations is really it, it's kind of like a. um Oh, I don't know, like a eulogy. Maybe that's not the best term because we don't really eulogize a lot. But it, it's speaking about, uh, in very poetic ways, the disaster, this national disaster that uh, was inflicted upon the Israelites, especially Jerusalem when it was destroyed in 586 B.C. Uh, set the stage for us. Like, what are we getting ourselves into here? Yeah. So when we uh, consider this book of Lamentations, I mean, there's uh, just there's just a lot of stuff going on. As you mentioned, the uh, the context for this is Jerusalem has fallen to the Babylonians. And of course, we know that this is brought about by uh, by her continual refusal to uh, to abide by God's law and, and worship him and just committing all types of spiritual adultery and idolatry as well. The um the book itself, um, especially this first chapter when you think about it, is in a poetic form that um that is called um acrostic. And what that means is that each new line of the poetry begins with a successive letter um of Hebrew poetry. So if we're thinking about like our our alphabet, it would be like the first line would be A, second line would be B. Um, in Hebrew, it's going to be Aleph, Bet, so on and so forth. There are 22 letters in Hebrew language, in the Hebrew alphabet. And so that's why we see it's kind of spaced out 22 verses uh, here in the first chapter. Um, well, just to add to that, in fact, every chapter except the fifth one is an acrostic. So it has those that same format. Yes. Uh, one of them is... Uh, I think a multiple of 22. I want to say 66 or I, I see. Yeah, sorry, I don't know offhand. But yeah, it's the same thing, right? As you're saying, it's the Aleph bet that, that they're going through. Yes. Just a poetic way of organizing them. Now, if you're reading it in English, of course, I mean, fair warning, it's not going to be an alphabetical order or even a left bet order because we're reading it in English. But but yeah, know that that's behind it, which I think is interesting. One of the other interesting ways or I guess I should say one of the interesting benefits of knowing the original languages or at least knowing how to access the original languages because, yeah, you get to see, yeah, this isn't just sort of thrown on a page. I mean, this is a lot of reflective and contemplative thought was put into it. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, there's just, again, so much going on. You know, of course, we see how God works through his his prophets, you know, which brings us up the 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 kind of question about authorship of Lamentations. Tradition ascribes this to uh, Jeremiah. We know him as the weeping prophet. Again, Jeremiah was was an eyewitness to the accounts, the horror, the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, but we, we don't know for certain if it is Jeremiah or not. Again, a lot of questions up in the air. We do know that whoever the author was, 
Um, again, also like Jeremiah, was an eyewitness to those events. But again, most people put this book with Jeremiah just because there's so many parallels. And we'll talk about that as we go through this first chapter between Jeremiah and Lamentations um, as we as we dive into it. But just something to be aware of in um, kind of some of the, the history there about the authorship. Is there any particular way that you would like to divide this up? Otherwise, I might just read the first three verses. But if you have a better way, I'm all ears. Nope, that sounds great. All right, sounds good. I'm going to read chapter one from Lamentations through the, uh, I guess, through the third verse. And this will be from the English Standard Version. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have all become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. Okay, that's the end of verse three. So we've gotten through Aleph, uh, Bet, and Gimel. <laughs> all right, so I'm glad you're keeping uh, track of the Hebrew. So. <laughs> well, that that'll be the last time I keep track of it, folks. <laughs> so, so anyway, we're we're here. We have um, this this beautiful depiction of Jerusalem as this sort of woman of nobility that has now become well in servitude and and loneliness. Yes. Um, and again, I mean, if you just you can kind of hear the uh, in the background of this, right? Like this wasn't the way it used to be. This isn't what they thought would ever happen to the city. I mean, Jerusalem had the temple and kind of with that came this false sense of security that that nothing could ever happen to the city. Um, it was full of people. You can kind of hear the just the memories here, right? The uh you know, she was great among the nations. She was like a princess. Um, but all that is gone now. And so there's just so much, you know, hence the name Lamentation, so much lament going on. Um, she has fallen from this. Um, no longer is she this this great princess, um, this nobility, but she is a widow, someone that needs to be taken care of, someone in a very vulnerable state, um, weeping bitterly. Um all of these nations, all of these things that she thought would bring her safety, security, all of these other, um, quote, lovers, as we see in verse two, um, they're not around anymore. They're not comforting her. Um, all her so-called friends have now turned on her. Um, that false sense of security, that's all gone now in reality is hitting her. When it speaks of her lovers, you know, I, I'm picturing all of these allies, right? That yep. were, you know, we will stand beside you, other nations even, right? We we are gonna stand beside you, or even within, right? All the different tribes. We're gonna we're gonna be together. And right. now there's this political abandonment, a spiritual abandonment. It's it's like adultery, you know, like they like they that, that because she has done something wrong. And of course, we haven't gotten into that just yet, but you're already seeing the hints of it that she has done something to drive them away. We don't know that for sure yet, 
but we're getting the hints of it. It's not that God has turned against her uh, for some unreasonable reason or that her allies uh, are no longer there, but it's it's going to end up being her fault, and that's going to be an interesting yeah. twist. But as we as we look at this too, though, I think it's interesting who is and, and for the sake of argument and tradition and history, we'll say Jeremiah. Yeah, who is Jeremiah writing this for? Do you have a thought about that? I mean, like, what's the point? I mean, it's very useful to us, sure, here, yeah. and the Holy Spirit yeah. certainly gives it to us for a good reason. But in the context of it, I mean, who's reading it and why? Right. So when we're thinking about this. I mean, this is this is really just a kind of a, a testimony to the um, to those in exile, to those that have been dispersed, to those that are enduring the um, the pain and suffering that, uh, as you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves for what um, the nation has done. And so we're going to see it just as we move through this chapter, especially that there is a sorrowful there. There is a sorrow it moves to repentance and it moves to um or repentance is in the sake of confessing what they had done and in hope that God will also avenge them and we will still care for them um you know going back to the allies comments i mean that was you know that was spot on pastor boo that i mean that that was idolatry right there because the um the nation, I mean, Judah and Jerusalem herself was called to trust in the Lord above all things. We see this in the very first commandments, but they refused to do that. Um, so we see just the the sin coming out right there, right? They trust in other allies, other nations, anything else in this world, and they didn't trust that God alone would take care of them. So we're getting this the stage set of, you know, the audience, these um, shoes in exile, and the... Um, the uh, just the way that this book is going to be laid out as a source of repentance, confession, and of course moving towards that glorious absolution, hope that we have in in God and Christ. So let's look at uh, a little, a few more verses. Let's just add some more to our conversation, starting with verse four. Sure. The roads to Zion mourn for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper because Yahweh has afflicted her. For the multitude of her transgressions, her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed, her princes have become like deer that find no pasture, they fled without strength before the pursuer. That's the end of verse six. So yeah, we've already now within the first few verses, Jeremiah does not let it linger. The cause, well, I shouldn't say the cause, the source of this affliction is Yahweh. The The reason or the cause is her, well, uh, metaphorically, or I should say allegorically speaking, it, it is her it is her um, adultery, right? Yeah. We were talking about the, the the allies. Well, those allies were her lovers. And in this context, lovers, plural, that's not consistent with God's design for marriage. Right. And so, yeah, now God is the one afflicting her. I think modern Christians sometimes struggle with that idea that, you know, we say, well, God allows suffering to happen. Certainly true. 
But then when it comes to God sort of sending suffering as a discipline, then we want to come up with all sorts of theodicies to try to get God off the hook. Sure. Right. Ex- that's exactly right. And we see this. I mean, I, I've seen this a lot, especially in, in chaplaincy roles. Um, you know, when you get kind of, you know, just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. Um, and the, the temptation is to, you know, not, especially when horrible things do happen, um, whether in someone's life or just here we see widespread destruction of a nation. Um, like you said, the, the temptation is to is to kind of just minimize what's going on there and not really just address that. Yes, God does bring about uh, these afflictions, but he brings them about for a purpose, um, for chastisement, for discipline, and to really to bring us back to him, to bring us back into the fold um, from our sin and lead us to repentance and faith. Well, indeed, right? I mean, God does allow suffering. God does send discipline, but nowhere in the scriptures does it ever depict God as uh, disciplining us out of anger or wrath or in any way that doesn't try to cause us to repent. Now, there are plenty of places where God punishes sin and, and his anger is is often um, um, displayed because we, we should have a respectable fear of the Lord, as Jesus says. But at the same time, we know that God works for, for those who love him. He really works for their good. And so it's hard for us to see in the midst of our painful situations that God is still there with us. He's still working behind the scenes. But, and I just want to emphasize this, and this I think this is where the gift that uh, we have in Lamentations comes through, lamenting our sins even if that sometimes means being kind of angry at God for what he allows to happen, you know, that's okay, folks, because first of all, God's our father. And, and it's much better, in my opinion, to be kind of angry with God for a little while while you struggle with it than to just sort of assume that God's not there. But but the point is we struggle, we lament, because at, at some point we have to recognize, as Jeremiah is pointing out, all the consequences of our sin are as a result of just that, sin in the world. Right, exactly. And I mean, and as you said, Pastor Boo, too, the the beautiful thing here, too, is that we are given permission to lament, right? We see this with King David in the Psalms. Um, we see Dr. Luther talking about going to our, um, our Heavenly Father and um, calling upon him in every trouble, pray, praising and giving thanks. So in everything, uh, we go to him. And that's exactly what he wants from us. He wants us to to go to him with just not just the good stuff, but also our our worries, our fears, our anger as well. And, um, and we see this coming out very crystal clear with uh, Jeremiah and, of course, here in Lamentations, you know, describing him as the author. Indeed. Well, let's uh, let's let's break down some of this stuff here, I, you know, because it, it's kind of tough when we have like a narrative that takes us through a story. We can break it into pieces whenever we're dealing with poetic, you know, prose or well, actually po- poetry in, in general here. It becomes a little tough because we could probably dig in and really take apart everything uh, and be here forever. Right. But I, I'm looking at um you know, Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She now dwells among the nations. And then a little later, it talks about the gates are desolate. Her priests groan. The virgins have been afflicted. She suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head and her enemies prosper. So it, it, you see two different kind of groups here. You have the 
the people of God, represented here by the one who is now in exile, and the others, the nations. They're now scattered about. The reason why I bring this up is because when we talk about being set apart, being holy, I referred to all our listeners, those who are in faith and have faith in Christ as saints, right? We are set apart. That's what it meant to be a chosen people. So if they're all scattered about, they're no longer set apart, at least not in a real physical way. Uh, reflect on that a little bit. I mean, how does that look like, how does that look in our lives, I suppose? Right. So, I mean, as we, you know, just kind of applying kind of what's going on here and, you know, thinking about our own lives and just the the exile, you know, going back to verse three that, that Judah is in, um, it's easy for us, especially in our society today, which is ever increasingly becoming more secular and, and less kind of that, you know, um, kind of picture perfect thing that we might have of the 1950s, you know, when everyone's going to church and you go to, uh, you know, pastors were held in, in higher esteem back then and things of that nature. Um, now it's, it's just completely the opposite. We may ourselves feel like exiles in this world, right? We might be the only Christian that goes to church every Sunday in our workplace. Um, we might be the only one that, that holds on to these words in, um, in our friend group, in our neighborhood, things like that. And it's easy for us to really, um, to go into despair and, um, well, and, and, and sorry to interject, yeah. but, and feel like we are scattered among the nations exactly. that we're not a unified, um, you know, set apart, holy people. Uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, that's because of our sins and we're being disciplined, but I think we can certainly agree that, the, the the scattering, the diaspora uh, is because of sin in general, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, again, sin causes division, and that's exactly what, what we see back then, and we see the same thing today. Um, and it's easy for us, you know, just as, um, you know, verse 3 says, to find no resting place, you know, and it's easy to get caught up in that temptation to think that, that there isn't anything anywhere for us to rest and really forget all about that Christ is the one. He is a true temple. He is the one who gives us rest. And, you know, we um, we go to the places where he has promised to give us that Sabbath rest, his word and his sacraments, that divine service we receive forgiveness of sins, life and salvation in the midst of this heartbreakingly sinful and divided world, um, a world in which we do find exiles. He does give us um, our rest in him and his gifts. Yeah, it can become easily discouraged, folks, when we see our enemies, and I'm doing air quotes, but you can't see it because we're on the radio, but when our enemies suffer, and the reason why I do the air quotes is because while there are our enemies out there and there are people in this world who are enemies of God, that's not the condition we want to leave them in, right? So we're not their enemies. They're our enemies. We want them to join us. But when we look out and we see the folks who are not worshiping the Lord, not following after the will and ways of God, uh, and, and they seem to flourish and, and, and God's people suffer. And I think it, we want to lament sometimes. And I, I like how you put it earlier. Uh, verses like, uh, or I should say, chapters like uh, like this one, uh, or books even, the whole book of Lamentations or many of the Psalms gives us permission to lament. Our, our Heavenly Father 
wants to hear from us. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, I, I'm going to take a break because we're right here at the time. But when we come back, uh, Pastor Heller and I will keep on going through Lamentations chapter one. We'll see you folks on the other side. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church free of charge to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Ryan Heller. He's the manager of Specialized Spiritual Care Ministry for the Office of National Mission with the LCMS. Don't forget, folks, that you can contact me at Pastor Boo, B-O-O-E, by the way, at gmail.com or on Facebook with your comments, questions, and more. Hey, if you're brave enough, give us a call. 1-800-730-2727. I promise we won't bite. Very nice uh, board operators are going to pick up that phone. All right, uh, Brother Pastor. Now, I, I, I switched what I called you. Earlier, I was saying specialized pastoral ministry, and then it occurred to me during the break, that's an outdated term now, isn't it? I think we changed it. Is, the LCMS yeah, changed yeah, it. it was, um, yeah, that's okay, though. So, yeah, we're specialized spiritual care ministry, but a lot of folks are familiar with specialized pastoral ministry. Just a name change there. Sounds good. It better reflects, I think, uh, all the great things that you guys do because it's while it's all I'm certainly pastoral, it's not all within the vocation of pastoral ministry. So I, I like the name change. I think it reflects better of what you guys are accomplishing. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, let's get back to the text. So we are in Lamentations chapter one, and we were just at verse seven. And I think I'm just going to pick up right there. Here we go. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old, when her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her, her foes gloated over her, they mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy, all who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Yahweh, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has outstretched his hands over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation." All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow which has brought upon me, which was brought upon me, which Yahweh inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. That's the uh, end of verse 12. So, you know, as, as I read through that and, and reflect on it, you know, we ha- it begins with Jerusalem remembering 
all these wonderful things of the days of old, but then it makes a very sharp turn to that. But when she fell, no one was there. And then it gets, I think, pretty, uh, pretty vivid in its yeah. description. If you read it a little, uh, if you read it with a little entendre to it. Yes. Yes. I mean, we definitely see definitely the, the adultery theme coming out in this, uh, you know, especially in verses, uh, eight and nine. Um, yeah, it's very, very vivid imagery, uh, Jeremiah is using here to describe the, uh, just the adultery that Jerusalem fell into, um, the, the sinning grievously, um, her nakedness, her filthiness, um, you know, these are, these are not those white robes, um, that, uh, that they've been given by God. They cast those out, um, and the, really what the whole point of this is, especially verse eight, is that is that she can't clean herself. And we're going to see this as we go farther in. She needs someone to pick up this mess and deal with it. Kind of moving on to verse, verse nine, um, you know, especially I want to highlight, she took no thought of her future, her, um, and right before that, her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. I mean, that really just describes, um, not just adultery, but any sin that, um, that, that we participated sins that we struggle with sins that, that we, um, when we engage in them, especially when we engage in them knowing, yeah, this is, this is bad, but, but it's kind of fun. It's enjoyable. I want to go out and do this. Um, we're thinking about the here and now and the pleasure that that brings that pleasure is fleeting. It's not going to last forever. It's not thinking about our future when it comes to the case of adultery. You know, there's just a lack of thinking about um, repercussions for the marriage, the family, the future generations that come down from it and the damage that can cause um, here. When we think about Jerusalem and her sin, they th she thought she was indestructible. She thought that nothing could touch her. She had all this glory, this fame, these lovers. Um, she flirted with this evil and did not think about that this type of future that she's enduring now, this future of horrors, hardships, and afflictions could ever become a reality. And that's where we find her. Living living for the moment, not considering the future. Right? Exactly. It, it, it just, you know, if it feels good, do it. Right. And this was, of course, on a national scale. It's being personified here in this adulterous princess, but it, it obviously was lived out by the people seeking after other gods, uh, making um, treaties and deals with pagan nations that God had forbidden. And we know that when when they came, when the Babylonians came, they stole the treasures. They came in, they entered into the sanctuary of God and stole the precious things. God had forbade those such people to even go into his sanctuary. But when we take that and poetically see how Jeremiah is personifying this uh, Jerusalem as this widow, as this princess who's become a widow, <laughs> you read 10 and you, you see, oh, I see what you're saying. I'll read it again. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things. For she's seen the nations enter into her sanctuary where you forbade to enter uh, by those types of people. I had to paraphrase at the end because I messed it up. But but the point is we see an entendre here where when we think about God, we think about Paul saying things like, you know, I tell you a mystery 
Uh, and it's all, of course, about Jesus coming for the Jews. But then even in the context of marriage, I'm talking about the church and Christ. When I say, when I give you these instructions for these beautiful marriages, I want you to remember the relationship we have with God. The church is the bride. Christ is the bridegroom. What's well, no different back then, right? God is our bridegroom and the church, his people are the bride. And look what the bride's doing, flirting and worse with nations, with foreign nations. And what happens? Verse 11, right? Now suddenly the treasures that used to be really important to them, they're giving away just for food. Right. Yeah. It's just, I mean, just such a, a far cry from those, you know, glory days that they had, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, David and Solomon and just those golden years um, when they were so rich, um, could get anything they wanted. And now um, all of that is gone. They're lucky just if they get, um, get a slice of bread. It's just such a, um, such a fall. And they, they really get a reality check here that, you know, the, the reason why they sin, the reason actually why we sin um, is the temptation to believe that God is, is far away. He's not watching. He doesn't care. He's not close by. And now when all these things are taken away, when they can't, when they can barely get food, they realize that that wasn't the case. God was close by. He does care. And, um, and he sends this affliction. Yeah. And, and who's going to be there? Who's going to be there to save you from the Lord's wrath? Is it going to be the the nations with whom you committed adultery? Is it going to be the worldly friends you made through sinful action? No, the only one who can save us from the Lord's wrath is the Lord himself. And not only so, but I think about the context of the church. Whenever the church in, endures a scandal, for instance, a, a prominent pastor or leader uh, gets embroiled in controversy, or, or even a church closes down the road, maybe not even for reasons of their own doing, just they just close because of the way the world is. We look at verse 12 and it says, is it nothing to you all who pass by? And, and, and it's kind of saying, you're just passing by. Don't you care that I'm suffering? And here's the answer. They don't. They don't. Yep. Only the Lord cares. And so why, why if, who, I, I, let's put it this way, where are your loyalties lie, going to lie? With the people who, when things get tough, aren't going to care? Or God, who has himself been faithful to you, even when you were a sinner? Right, exactly. And it's it's just so hard. And, it's, and these are the lies that Satan tells us. This is the lies that Satan told Jerusalem that, that these you know, these, these sins or these people that you're, you know, um, the nations that, that they're forming these alliances against God's word, against this law and all these other sinful actions that they're taking, that, that they will care about them, that that's what true love is and things like that. But it's all a lie and they see it now, right? They're not there. They're not the ones who truly love Judah, who truly love Jerusalem and we're going to see in the next few verses, of course, the Lord does. And that kind of shift as they they recognize this, they they confess this, and they come about and trust in him. Yeah, we're going to hear them continue to, or, or Jeremiah, continue to talk about how this is the Lord's doing, but a recognition of the, the cause is, is going to be very clear. Let's start with 13 now. Yeah. From on high, he sent fire into my bones. He made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. 
He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. My transgressions were found or bound into a yoke by his hand. They were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. But Yahweh has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. Now, I, I'm going to pause there on purpose because the turn happens next. But mm-hmm. So here we have still more of this sort of recognition that the bad things that are happening in their life are being sent from God or being allowed to happen by God. And yet you can already hear the recognition that it's our transgressions. They're the things that are hanging around our neck. Those are the things that are causing us to slow down and stumble and fall. Right, exactly right. I mean, especially in that that last verse. I mean, there's just a clear violation of one of the one of many the uh, the laws that and commands that that Judah has broken it in the Jews. They, you know, Lord commanded them that the neighbors should be their foes, and Jerusalem did not do that. She she welcomed them in. She again, we keep on going back to this, but formed those alliances. Um, it was also, you know, if we look back at at some of the history leading up to this, uh, we see pagans and other um, non-believers, of course, coming into the uh, that they welcomed into the into the temple, the the holy place of God, uh, and defile it. And so, I mean, it's just that's just one example of many here in the last few verses of of the things that and the sins that that are recognized here that have brought about the Lord's chastisement. And, you know, when we talk in our, in our day and age, we, we say, well, listen, when you live according to the way God has designed you to live, then things typically go better for you. Now, you don't necessarily have a better relationship with the world. In fact, Jesus tells us the opposite, right. but in terms of our relationship with God and, and frankly, even our health, when we live the way God wants us to live, or our relationships with each other, when we forgive one another, when we admonish one another when necessary and leading to repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation, when we follow his rules, we don't murder, we honor our father and our mothers, we we put God above all things, things tend to go better. And then you look out in the world and what are they doing? They're living as these people lived, you know, when they fell into sin. They're living each day as its own, doing whatever their heart desires. Hedonism reigns. And, and there's a sort of a famous thing out there when you say, well, you shouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z. You shouldn't be with a different uh, lover every other week. You know, you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be drinking alcohol to excess. You shouldn't be uh, giving in to the world's desires. And, and, and what do some people say? They go, well, you can't judge me. Only God can yes. judge me. Only God can judge me. And, right. and it's kind of cliche, but it's sort of like uh, that should terrify you. Right. right. Because our judgment isn't judgment at all. We have no right to judge. Ours is admonishment. 
you're right. God will judge you. And he's judged his own people in the past. And look what happened. Do you think he'll preserve those who are standing against him? No. Right, exactly. And probably I'm sure the same has happened, uh, you know, in your own ministry, Pastor Boo. I know it has happened in mine where, you know, there's, um, you know, members of the congregation or some type of uh, sin comes up. And, you know, one of one of the things as pastors that we're called to do is is bring those people to repentance, um, you know, just as Nathan did with David, um, call them on their sin and invite them to repentance, invite them to receive Christ's forgiveness and lead a better life. And, you know, one of the things that would often happen to me when I'd have those conversations is exactly like you said, right? Even with with those within the churches, um, you know, they, they get mad at me as a pastor for, for bringing up, you know, this sin and, you know, the, the thing I always say is, you know, it's not me. It's not Pastor Heller saying that this is, you know, from myself, that this is sin. This is this is God's law. This is his word. This is God himself saying this, not me. And and just having that that proper understanding, that proper framework, you know, as you said, that really should terrify people because we can't do anything to anyone. God himself can, and he does. You know, we see this, Jesus will will talk about this in the New Testament, you know, fear the one who can cast both body and soul into hell. That's exactly what God God can do in his righteous judgment. And, and it's just, it's very sad that our world is not increasingly moving away from, from that type of understanding. Yeah, indeed. Well, let's see the turn, though, because, you know, we're not going to get this super clear uh, in terms of we're never going to find in Lamentations a very clear, uh, yes, here's God to the rescue. But there's going to be plenty of appealing to him. There's going to be plenty of kind of hints towards that. Um, But as we consider, or I should say, as Jeremiah considers the sin of the people, and he's writing this kind of right after this happens. So it's very much a reflection on all the things that have happened. So in verse 18 you get something that I don't think you often get in society and we Christians strive to do, but don't always. And that is when we look at our sins and we look at sort of the consequences of our sins that God has allowed to happen. Well, let's just look. Verse 18, it begins with, the Lord is in the right. (laughs) Yahweh is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering, my young women, And my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Yahweh, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. They have heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble, for they are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. That's the end of the chapter, ending with the very last uh, letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So, yeah, I, I both love and hate this. <laughs> As a sinner, I hate it because uh, this is exactly the truth, that it is 
it's not that God didn't warn me, and it is my own sin that has has caused this to come upon me. And yet, to whom shall I go? You have the word of eternal life. So they say, Lord, you're afflicting me, but I know it's my fault. So now save me. Oh, and by the way, the people you sent to discipline me, you know, take care of them too. <laughs> and we think, oh, well, that doesn't seem right. But the Lord actually uses even those who are set against him for his own purposes. So, yes, they actually also will receive the the just punishment for their actions too. Right, exactly. And, I mean, if you're thinking about, I mean, just this this confession Jeremiah has here that, you know, the Lord is right. I have rebelled against this word. Um, you know, it's, I have been very rebellious, verse 20. You know, it's just, as a sinner, these, as you're saying, these are very painful words to confess, very painful things to say. And it reminds me, especially of the the beautiful uh, sacrament we have of private confession and absolution. Oh, yeah. And for our listeners out there, if you've never, never had that with your pastor, I'd encourage you to do that. Um, there's so much of a difference um, when it's just you, your pastor, and you're going through that that right of private confession absolution, um, and you're saying that um, those things that I have lived as if God did not matter, and I live matter the most, and it is almost impossible to get through that without crying, tearing up at least. Sure. Um, it just hits you so much differently then than the corporate confession, absolution, and the divine service. But just that private confession, absolution, saying those words, you know, we, we see echoes of this here in uh, Lamentations 1. If you think of the sacraments in their most simplistic form, at least the way our church defines them, they are incarnation of God's word, right? So you have baptism, this this entrance into God's uh, God's kingdom, and through his word, and of course the application of water as he commands, he, he forgives you your sins. He bestows you faith. And then we think of the Lord's Supper often, which we do, and hopefully you're doing that often in your congregation. It's so important where God's word is combined with that bread and wine in which in a mystical way that we don't understand, Christ truly comes to us. But that middle sacrament, even if you – there are some folks who want to wrestle with the definitions. That's okay. But that 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 middle sacrament about confession absolution, yes, we do it corporately, but our guest is so right. Your pastor, in all his faults and sins, still desperately wants to bring you comfort from God. That is literally his job. If you're struggling with sin, go to him. In fact, and I was telling this to my congregation, well, actually my Bible study uh, on Wednesday mornings, you know, we should be such that if you're struggling with a sin, and the one I used was alcoholism. I know a lot of folks out there struggle with with the, the disease of alcoholism, but also, of course, the sinful inclination of it. And if you're struggling with that, you should be in this perfect world, go up right in front of the congregation and tell all your brothers and sisters what you're struggling with. And we should come around you with comfort and forgiveness and strength and, 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 and helping you overcome that. And I realize that that's a little bit, um, that's a little bit of a pipe dream. I get it. But let me tell you something. Your pastor is willing to do that. He's willing to walk with you through those things. Because, well, he gets his strength from God and he wants to point you to that. So, I, yeah, I'm just I'm glad you encouraged that private confession and absolution. It's so important. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just, you know, thinking about these um, these situations, too, is, you know, one of the things, um, you know, I hear a lot, you know, kind of the things that people think that are in the Bible, but but 
really isn't is this kind of this belief that God will never give you more than you can handle. And right. we see it right here. He's giving, he's giving Jerusalem, these exiles, so much more than they can handle. And he does that with us too. And he does that for a purpose, right? So that we, we learn to trust on him that we can't handle it. Um, we absolutely can't. We need to go to him. And just as Jeremiah is doing here, right? Going back to the Lord um, and calling upon his name to make this right. Confessing sins, receiving absolution, um, all of that for us as well. Well, brother, we're coming to the close of our time together and we're out of verses to read. So (laughs) anything else that you want the folks to know from this or really anything else you want to share with people before we go? No, but I just, uh, you know, encourage folks to uh, continue to read and meditate on God's word as we've been doing and and really just take comfort, um, you know, that the that the things that you're struggling with aren't new and people have been dealing with them all the way back to. Yeah, creation, right? So just, you know, be be comforted that you're not alone. Um, the sins that you struggle with are not new. And God provides forgiveness and absolution for you through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. Indeed. You know, if, if the consequences of your sins are too heavy for you to bear, um, that's okay. Because there is someone who has for them for you and is there for you. And of course, that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd like to thank my guest this morning. He is the Reverend Ryan Heller. He's a pastor, chaplain, and he serves as the manager of, oh, let me find the new title here, Specialized Spiritual Care Ministry for the Office of National Mission for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I don't know how big your business card is, but that's a pretty long one. Uh, Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Folks, uh, on Monday, the Reverend Stuart Crown comes on the show to take us into chapter two, which continues to paint this vivid and somber picture of Jerusalem's desolation following its destruction. In this second of five poems of lament, the imagery continues to be stark and powerful, depicting the Lord in his anger, darkening the daughter of Zion's splendor and casting down from heaven to earth the majesty of Israel. Pretty scary language. But this chapter serves not only as a historical account of sorrow, but as a profound meditation on the nature of suffering and divine justice and the consequences of turning away from God. So that and a lot more when we gather around God's word again on Monday. But until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.